Welcome to Daily Daf Differently, a Jcast Network podcast. This daily podcast invites you to join us to study the Daily Talmud page with a variety of liberal rabbis and teachers. For more information about Daily Daf Differently, please visit jcastnetwork.org slash ddd. For more information about the other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Today's daf is being taught by Justin David, the rabbi of Congregation B'nai Israel in Northampton, Mass. While my last podcast focused on the notion of what constitutes holy writings, the argument in the Gemara that follows concerns which writings we should save. For example, there is a long debate over whether we should save holy writings translated into other languages. The debate was one between the Babylonian Nemora Im Rafuna and Rafhista, with Rafhista saying yes and Rafhuna saying no. The perspective of Rafhista seems to be one in which the inherent holiness of the texts obligates us to go to lengths to save them, whereas Rafhuna introduces a kind of realness principle. The holiness of our texts obligates, to, obligates us to save them, but only to a point. As this argument goes through various permutations for the entire length of the previous staff, we see the perspective of Rav Chista, save everything, being emphasized again and again. However, the Gemara can never shake the perspective of Rav Huna, which is to say, keep it real, don't save everything, and so the argument essentially ends in a tie. Lingering behind these practical questions of whether or not to save holy writings in translation is the more thorny existential issue of confronting the other in Jewish life and Jewish tradition. If, after all, we are compelled to translate our holy writings into languages that are not Hebrew, that of course means that we live in non-Jewish society. And living in non-Jewish society, and speaking languages other than Hebrew, raises the question of how we live as Jews, perhaps more conversant with a language other than our own, perhaps more at home in a culture other than our own. The rabbis struggled with the other because their own society was so fragile, with the other, whether in the form of Roman or Babylonian government or citizens, in the form of Hellenizing Jews, Roman sympathizers, or Hebrew Christians from within, holding the keys to the rabbinic community's stability or downfall. For example, we have ample evidence of robust synagogue life in ancient Palestine, we have remains of sturdy buildings with elaborate mosaic tiles and evidence of ample financial support. However, all the donor inscriptions that we get from these ancient synagogues are in Greek, not Hebrew. The images that are there on the mosaic tile floors are clearly borrowed from pagan culture, and rabbis are never mentioned. So while the rabbis envisioned a society built upon reference for Torah and God and Jewish community, The reality probably was that rabbinic culture lived in an uneasy but interdependent relationship with pagans, Gentile, meaning Greek and Roman Christians, as well as Christians from within the Jewish community. The issue of living with the other arises on our daf with respect to the question of whether the books of Minim, or heretics, should be saved on Shabbat in a fire. By the term Minim, uh, or in particular Sifrei Minim, the books of heretics, the Gemara does not refer necessarily to her- heretical books, but rather to sacred texts, the Hebrew Bible, which would have been owned by members of the Jewish community who were themselves Christian. As if to highlight the threat under which the rabbis saw themselves in this context, Rashi understands the books of heretics to be those which they own so as to bone up on Judaism and refute Jewish claims. The emotion with which the rabbis engage in this discussion is quite striking. 
Rabbi Yossi states that while we do not save books of um, heretics on Shabbat, if it is a weekday, we cut out the mention of God's name, bury those, and, less, and let the rest of the book burn. Rabbi Tarfon offers an emphatic objection, which is worth quoting at length. He says, May I bury my son were I to bury the names of the divine names if they came into my hand. For even if a man were pursuing me to kill me, or if a snake were chasing me to bite me, I would enter a house of Avodazara, a house of foreign worship, but I would not enter their houses of worship, meaning the Hebrew Christians. For they, meaning the heretics, understand and rebel, whereas they, the pagans, do not understand. Note here the special pain reserved for Hebrew Christians, because they understand their path is more hurtful to Rabbi Tarfan. And oddly and ironically, the completely foreign Roman pagans, with their far idolatrous worship, seem safer than fellow Jews who choose to believe and practice differently. Rabbi Tarfan's objection is followed by that of Rabbi Yishmael, who introduces a kind of tricky kalvachomer, an argument a fortiori from a lenient case to a more stringent case. What Rabbi Yishmael says is the following. When we make peace between a husband and wife through uh, the application of the sota ritual, which is found in the book of Numbers, the Torah says, My name written in holiness, let it be erased upon the water. So with these, says Rabbi Yishmael, the disputes between uh, Jews and Hebrew Christians, who arouse jealousy and hatred and division between Israel and their Father in heaven, all the more so should we let God's name be destroyed by fire, when uh, God's name is found in books belonging to heretics. Rabbi Yishmael's comment adds an intriguing psychological layer to Rabbi Tarfun's objection. The point of contention, it seems, between rabbis and Hebrew Christians is not only doctrinal, but sociological. What Rabbi Yishmael objects to is not an aspect of divergent belief or even religious practice, but the communal result of that difference, which is to sow division and hatred. The rabbi's dilemma of how to treat the other in their midst constant, continues as the halachic discussion takes new shape. Apparently there were towns where it was known that Hebrew Christians would engage in debates or at least threaten to engage in debates with rabbis. Some rabbis would avoid traveling through these towns, and some would not. In the end, we have a picture of a community with its fractures, but also with a yet-to-be-fully-realized impulse towards living with those fractures. The rabbis wish that everyone could believe and practice the same way. But for all their anger at meaning at heretics, they are not cast beyond the fold. Why is this the case? Perhaps the rabbis wanted to hold on to every soul. Perhaps they had no other choice. A story that most powerfully elicits the dilemma of living with the other in one's midst how much to tolerate and how much to refute, features a formidable woman, Ima Shalom, and her husband, Rabbi Eliezer. As the story goes, there was a philosoph uh, in uh, Hebrew, uh, a euphemistic term for a heretic, who lived nearby with a sterling reputation for not accepting bribes. And so Ima Shalom and Rabbi Eliezer, her husband, wanted to expose him as a fraud. So Ima Shalom go goes before him, apparently to receive a kind of judgment. She first gives him a golden lamp. This is key to the story. And then she says, I desire a share in my deceased father's estate. The philosopher said, divide it up. Now at this point, the great scholar Rabban Gamliel, who is the head of the Sanhedrin and brother of Ima Shalom, comes into the picture. He says to the philosopher, it is decreed for us, presumably in the Torah, in fact in the Torah, where there is a son, a daughter does not inherit. 
Then we're witness to a rare example of a Hebrew Christian sharing his views, purportedly based on the New Testament. The philosopher says, Since the day that you were exiled from your land, the law of Moses has been superseded and another book has been given in which it is written, A son and a daughter inherit equally. Now, interestingly, according to the great Christian scholar of the Talmud, Reverend Travers Herford, such a judgment shows that the philosopher was swayed by the bribe of the golden lamp, as no such quotation exists in the Gospels. Robin Gamaliel knew this, so he comes back with a Libyan donkey and he says, Look at the end of the book, apparently alluding to the book of Matthew, where it says, I have not come to destroy or add to the law of Moses. And uh, adding to this uh, quote from the New Testament, Rabban Gamliel says, and so it is written in the Torah, a daughter does not inherit where there is a son. Fascinating, tricky, and perhaps a slightly disturbing story all at the same time. First of all, it casts Christianity as an internal Jewish debate, not as a clash of civilizations. But as an internal Jewish debate about the other, the goal seems to be not to quash difference, but rather to establish integrity. The problem with the philosopher, from the point of view of this, of this story, or Hebrew Christians in general, was not primarily his belief in Jesus, or even his embrace of the Gospel of Matthew, but rather his personal inclination to distort the teachings of the Torah and the Gospels for his own personal gain. Presumably, had he interpreted the Torah correctly, or even not distorted the teaching of the Gospels, or maybe not even accepted the gift of a lamp before offering his opinion, the conversation would have looked quite different. The texture of this stuff is emblematic of the rabbi's view of the other in general, leaving us with questions rather than answers. To be sure, in many places in the Talmud, we are left with a clear statement of who is in uh, and who is out of rabbinic society, what is kosher practice and belief, and what is not. But these texts show us something different, that rabbinic society had to contend with variation, divergence, even acrimonious heresy in its midst. And yet, for all their fear of a new crop of believers and practitioners, there is a sense that if we can sort out the issues of personal integrity, there might be very different conversations and insights that we can share. I hope you've enjoyed today's episode of Daily Daf Differently and that you'll join us again tomorrow for a new page. The music at the opening and close of this episode is Ufros from the Epichorus album One Bead, available on Bandcamp, iTunes, and Spotify.